Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by the Gavin Preston. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pete. So good for you to have me on your show. Thank you. Well, vice versa. It's lovely to have you. So um, tell us, Gavin, who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? So I'm a business strategist. I help businesses to, to scale and grow. I work with SMEs, particularly a sweet spot between those that are turning over between 1 million and 5 million. And I either am brought in when they are in a turnaround situation, when they're in a bit of survival situation to help them you know, uh, survive. And then um, go on to thrive or I help businesses where they've been plateauing. So they've had growth, they've hit a plateau and I'm brought in to help them sort of get into that next phase of growth. Um, I live on the North Wales coast and a place called Daganwy. So across the, the water from Conway and, um, but initially um, born and bred in Lancaster in the Northwest of England, uh, but spent most of my life growing up in the English Lake district in Windermere. Oh, wow. So all very beautiful parts of the country. Yeah, I, I, I like places of any sort of outstanding natural beauty. And so I move, I move basically from the beauty, the beauty of uh, Lake Windermere to uh, the stunning uh, North Wales coast. So, yes. Oh, lovely. So it sounds, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, all the uh, working with those SMEs. And would you describe yourself a bit of a, a firefighter then? Or are you a bit of a fire consultant when things are... Yeah, I can be, I can be a firefighter, but also um, I reignite the fire. So I've had people that have come to me and said, look, I've lost my mojo. I want to do something with my business. I want, I want five years now to build it, to sell it. I've lost my mojo and I, and I want you to sort of relight the, the pilot light on the boiler or whatever, get the fire in the belly. Literally, that is the t- some of the language that they use with me. I, mm. I need that fire back in my belly that I had when I set up my business. And so I, I reignite that, and but I reignite that passion and shine the torch of brilliance on them to say this is the art of what is possible. But then I underpin it with here are the strategic operational pieces that you need, in, strategic and operational pieces that you need in your business to grow it, scale it, but in a sustainable and a profitable way. Wow, I love it. So give us the headlines here. So you are now an author? Now an author, yeah. Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. Super excited about the book launch and it's been, been a long time in the coming and I think we'll probably get into it, but the book that's uh, publishing now is so much better for the journey I've been on than the mm. book that was originally started to be written. And because of life and business experiences that I've been through, that's given me a lot more depth and substance to, to what I'm sh- sharing. So I think if I look back in the past, it was all great mindset. Let's go for growth. And this is how you grow your business. Great. And, and let's do this. Go for it. And I, it, uh, it, what I'm really careful for to do now is whilst balancing that out with these are things you need to get right operationally, structurally in your business in order to grow it sustainably and profitably. So I'm going to inspire you, but I'm back it up with solid foundations. Mm. And then I'm going to work with your team and again, back that up with solid foundations. So the substance is down to earth, it's practical, but it's also inspirational and motivational. It's, uh, I'm getting from your tone, your context there, it's, it sounds like it's, 
you're not the full blown here. Just just hit it with more energy. It's it's wiser words, as in you got to go here. You see, the concepts in the book, you know, the, mm. the Thrive part is a six stage business growth model. I call the Strategy Compass, and each of these six elements, and I'll run through them in a second. None of them are new, mm. but what I have done is I pulled them together into one space, into sure. one book. So you might get a book on strategy, but it wouldn't. You get a book on mindset. You might get a book on systems and processes, but you won't get the things together. So I wanted to create a manual for business owners that were either in survival or were bored of plateauing, frustrated with plateauing, and say, "Here's a comprehensive guide. You do all of these things right, and your business will grow." And by the way, I know because I've used this process toe to toe with so many business owners over over the years that actually this is the stuff that works and delivers results. Mm. No, it's, it's great. Uh, and I'm just, I mean, you've been there, you've done it your 25 odd years in, in business as such, right? Yeah, it seems interesting that... Um, uh, it's been, the, the phrase 25 years has been coined quite a lot over the last couple of weeks. And um, yeah, I have. I, I started off my career with KPMG. I qualified, trained and qualified as a chartered accountant. That gave me really good grounding in business. And whilst my thing was never tax or was never sort of making sure that your statutory accounts were perfect or your balance sheets balanced, I just love the bigger picture piece, the piece where mm. we could look at strategy, look at people within a business, see where the business was and where it could grow and how it could fit in within a marketplace. And that was the bit that I had the flair for, but I had the caliber of that quality of training and that way of thinking. And importantly, the exposure to so many businesses. Mm. So, you know, starting to qualify with them at 21 there's been 25, 26 now years of experience where I've worked in businesses large and small from multinational corporates, organizations like the United Nations through to solopreneurs, you know, and, and, and all in between across different continents, across so many different industries, public sector, private sector, third sector. So if you, for, for that 25, 26 years, I've spent certainly every month I've been in several different new businesses every month for those 25, 26 years. And you're going to see patterns. You're going to learn stuff. You're going to spot stuff. And I've gone out and built on the skill set around around finance and accountancy and built a huge amount around um, mindset, NLP. I went deep with Paul McKenna, Richard Bandler, and their business partner in the UK, Michael Breen, about business applications of NLP. So I did the whole journey around that. Then I built skills around marketing or knowledge around marketing, around strategy and experience around ops. So now I can go into a business and pretty much, unless it's like a, a lean manufacturing area, which I haven't got any experience in, but any, I can identify the levers that need to be pulled to either keep the boat afloat in terms of the business or to be able to get it into growth again. I look forward to it. I mean, we're going to get into this more, but first of all, let me, let me just ask, what, are, what does Fire in the Belly mean to you? It's that, it, it's, a per, it's a drive, it's a personal drive to want to get me out of bed, to want me to do more, to want to push hard. Um, it fuels the early mornings, the late nights. And look, I, I, I think I got it from my dad. I, I know how to work hard <laughs> and I certainly put the hours in. And, and it's the driver as to why. And, you know, it, it, actually a coach, my coach pulled this out of me recently and we would sort of, um, so why did you write the book, Gavin? Oh, because I've got this knowledge. No, 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 really. What was the moment? What was the spark? You know, survive and thrive. Why that? And what he pulled out of me, which you and I know the power of coaching, which was fascinating, was I grew up in survival. 
and survive. What I mean by that is my dad was a commission-only salesman. Mm. So what he earned in a week or a month was entirely dependent on whether he sold or not and how much he sold. Mm. So some weeks or months we would eat well and some we wouldn't. There was always uncertainty about would the family go on holiday? Was there enough money for us to go on holiday? So I grew up in survival. And then he then later went on to set up his own business. And he made a massive step. I remember it so vividly. He went from operating out like two spare rooms in a small cottage to taking on a 9,800 square foot business center with storage space. And his vision was huge. He had to set up four different businesses, working six to seven days a week, 14 to 16 hours a day to make ends meet. And I was in my early stages of my KPMG training, and I used to do his cash flow forecasting every other weekend. And I used to remember driving back down the motorway thinking, shit, I don't think my dad's going to be in business in two weeks' time when I come back. So I, I grew up with this uncertainty, this stress and worry around cash or cash flow specifically. And then I then set up my own business back in 2002, and I had some ups and downs on my own cash flow. And I think... We, we we teach what we most need to learn. You know, I, I, I now look back, you know, that's that Steve Jobs phrase, you can only see the, you can look backwards and it's something, then you can see the dots to join or what's that effect, mm. how the dots join up. And I wrote the book for people in business that put so much time, so much energy, sweat, blood and tears. They've got worries around cash flow, how they're going to meet payroll and pay suppliers. And then in addition to that, they're sacrificing time on their health, time with their, you know, their partner or their spouse and time with their children. And it always frustrated me when I saw business owners having that experience and I really wanted to help them. And I think that's the fire in the belly for me, which is like, I want to help when you read the brochure to set up your own business or the imaginary brochure of what you <laughs> you fantasized running your own business would be like, you didn't expect you would have less certainty of income, you would work even more hours, you'd have less time for you with your family and, and, and your partner. And so many business owners I encounter are quite battle-weary and punch-drunk. And my passion and my fire in the belly is, I can help you and I want to help you. I want to help you... Um, get the success and the fulfillment from your business that you dreamt of when you first, you know, opened the doors or set, you started on that business journey. But secondly, I want you to have a better relationship with uh, with your children. I want you to have more time with your children and your spouse. And another mentor of mine in the ta- in the past said to me at one stage, it's always st- uh, stood out in my mind is, you know, your wife or your spouse, your partner, and your children. They spe- they spell love T I M E. And so many business owners, myself included, my dad included, mm-hmm. there, there wasn't much of that TIME going on. And uh, the book really is about let's get these things right. And this is the driver for me. And so that you can get more of time with, you, with, with the people that mean most to you. And I think I've always wanted to be authentically on the journey myself. So I spend too much time in my business at the expense of time with my boys. So I'm working progress and I, I'm, I believe in being really authentic about this. When I encounter something, I seem to have to go through a challenge. You know, there's always a breakdown before a breakthrough, whether it's been a personal relationship thing, a marriage thing, a health thing, a business thing. I kind of go through it and then I attract clients going through it. And I obviously am so much more authentically able to, to help them because I know it. I feel it. I've been through it. I know what it's like. Mm. 
It is interesting because I mean, early on, you, you mentioned with fire in the belly, you know, and it is, it's actually being prepared or be willing to do the early mornings, late nights, and then vice versa. It's getting the the measure, getting the balance with family as well, you know, and it's entrepreneurship, family life, you know, and especially when you see people with passion, it's either you get super good at juggling or what, you know, and, and I, I don't know how it's a balancing act, right? It is a balancing act. And, you know, people talk about work-life balance and I don't, I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's a red herring of a concept. I think there's times where you're going to be really full on with your family in terms of giving them time, whether that be a holiday or a birthday or something like that. There'll be times when you've got a project or launching within your business and that you're going to be full on into your business. And it's, it, it, we should be able to find a way of integrating both work and life together. So it's our experience and our journey. And, you know, we all want to sit down in our rocking chair in our 80s and look back and go, do you know what? I'm proud of what I did and I'm proud of the family I've raised and I'm proud of the difference I've made in the lives of my customers. So I've now left a dent in the universe, a mark in the world. And um, I think too often it can be um, myopic in one area. So something that I've been incredibly busy on, say, the book project, for example, and a, a massive client project recently. You know, my, my seven-year-old, my eldest, says, um, Daddy, you know, all you're interested in is business and money. And, you know, that hits hard. Wow. Straight, so straight, I, straight to the juggler. Good lad. And <laughs> uh, say, say how it is. You know, and, and, you know I, I love feedback. And, I, and I'm the first person that's happy to look in the mirror. And I know that I now need to make sure that over, certainly over August, uh, I, I, I've been skewing the balance the other way. I've, had, um, I've been working... 12 14 hour days six seven days a week uh and for too long now so uh as i've, I've been put, getting the book ready for launch the, the and the audio book and a massive client project and so um i i now know i have to switch the balance back the other way and be really present you know it's, mm. it's interesting when i'm when i'm with clients when i'm coaching and working with them my phone's off and the only person in my world is the client. There's nobody else. So 100% of my bandwidth is dedicated to listening and watching the client, hearing and picking up what they're saying, importantly, what not they're not saying, sensing what they're feeling so that I can cut to the core of the core issues straight away. You know, if I'm really honest and self, you know, I look hard in the mirror, do I apply that level of attention to my boys? No, and I need to work on that. Hmm. That's that's a very that's a very honest thing to say, you know. And it's always interesting too because you you're quite reflective about your father as well. And that time, mm. so it seems to be a, you know, as you say, a dot connection going on for you. Yeah, but it's, 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 so here it, we talk about um, the yin and the yang and the night and day and the autumn and winter, autumn so summer and winter. We need those opposites in life mm. to, to 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 create um, the growth. So you mentioned just before we started to record about Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow It, which was made out of 504 interviews. It was the second book I read at the age of 15, to the second book in the area of personal development. When I was 15 and I was studying for my GCSEs, I was quite anxious about my, how well I was doing and I felt quite overwhelmed by it. And I remember vividly my dad came in and sat on the end of my bed and called my bed and he said, he handed me a book. He worked for when he was a sales commission only salesman, he worked for the UK arm of an American sales company. Mm. So a lot less US sales training books and trainings came over. 
And he handed me a book called The Success System That Never Fails by W. Clement Stone. Mm. And W. Clement Stone was a big mate of Napoleon Hill. And in W. Clement Stone's book was the, the, the famous Napoleon Hill quote that has become my life motto is what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. Mm-hmm. And so my dad said to me, Gavin, think about getting nine A's at GCSE and say to yourself 50 times a day what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. Okay, dad. I didn't know any different. So I did 50 times a day what my seeing believe the mind can achieve and thought about getting nine A's. And I got my nine A's and it blew my mind. So as a 15, 16 year old, I was just cooked. It was like I was captivated, curious, wanting to learn as much as I could. So book number two in, in sort of quick succession was Think and Grow Rich. And how many times have I read that book now? You know, and um, it just set me on this journey and lit the fire in my belly around personal development using our mind. And I just became fascinated about what's the difference that makes the difference in human performance and success. Mm-hmm. But my playing playing field was business. You know, others get captivated in sport, music or whatever. But for me, my playing field was business. And so I, I, I got, I started to study. And whilst I went down an, an accounting uh, path at university and then obviously training, my heart, my passion was in this area of personal development, growth. And I managed to weave this into my accountancy and finance dissertation by studying what were the common traits of successful entrepreneurs. And in my research, I found a book on the bookshelves in the psychology and self-help section in the bookstore in Newcastle uh, upon time where I was studying, none other than Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And mm-hmm. what a healthy tome. And I've still got it, pride of place on my bookshelf behind me and uh, it's loads of highlights throughout it, read it from cover to cover. But this was different. So many of the other books I'd read would have been a bit samey. This was different. And then I then read after that one, his preceding book, Unlimited Power, and that introduced me to NLP. Mm-hmm. And then that started my journey of getting captivated around the world of NLP. And in the early 2000s, I I spent four years immersed. I became Michael Breen's apprentice. I, I spent four years immersed in the pra- NLP practitioners, master practitioners, train the trainer programs, business practitioner, business master practitioner programs, hypnosis. For me, it was like duck to water. And so I just loved helping coaching training inspiring people to step up and for me there's nothing more that will rekindle that fire than seeing the results that it's enabled others to achieve awesome interesting would you what what brings out the best of you it sounds like you got to be almost at the coal phase doing it and that 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 kicks off the passion is that a fair yeah it does and it's when i'm i don't know if you've if you uh looked at any of the wealth dynamics Robert, roger hamilton's sort of profile wealth dynamics or talent dynamics i'm i'm the star profile which is that i just i just look I'm, I'm at my best when i'm presenting or i'm pointing shining the spotlight at somebody else and um so i'm my best when i'm on my feet and speaking and when you know on a medium like this i i'd love that and it brings the best out of me and my brain is faster quicker most alive i come up with the the answers you say um okay sit down in a quiet room and design a new course come up with new content i find that more difficult i'll come up with new ideas tumbleweed (laughs) but you ask me a question and Mm. we could get a train of thought and i'll just come up with an answer and i go oh that was quite good stuff there so i I can always often develop my content from being prompted or or, or probed prodded by somebody that's asking me questions that just gets me to think about things and think on my feet 
So it's interesting because, I mean, again, we were talking just before, so even you're, when you're coaching and you seem to enjoy that interaction, that's sort of almost the challenges presented to you and, and subconsciously it almost starts to, you know, all the years of experience and knowledge just kicks in and said, here we go. Yeah, and there's also, yeah, absolutely. And there's also some esoteric training that I've done as well. So there's a, you know, I'm open to spirituality. I got a Reiki master training. I did some some really kind of far out aura diagnosis training. It wasn't that I can see people's auras or anything. And I, I'm, I don't think I, I rarely talk about this because it's just like NLP. It's an operating system that sits in the background, but I, it, it, it improved my ability to pick up on the emotion, the energetic impact of what's going on for somebody. Mm-hmm. And it helped me to cut through to the core of the issue quicker. So people would say, how you just hit the nail on the head? How did you do that? And I'm, I do that because I'm listening to uh, what you're saying. I'm watching very attentively, but I'm also open to what hunch, what feeling, what 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 gut feel am I getting? Mm, something more there, because we're energetic creatures. You know, um, we're all giving off a vibe at, at all the time. You know, if we if we go around to a couple's house and they've just had a row before we arrived and they've stopped before we get there, we know, we absolutely know, and we. We'll, we'll use this phrase like you know you cut the you could cut the air with an with a knife and so we uh, as uh, back from you know uh, early survival times we needed to be able to pick up on those energetic shifts in in others or in the environment you know oops there's a there's a there's a predator there's a saber toothed tiger we need to we need to run or or fight you know but so uh, I you some of that more esoteric stuff just heightened my acuity or awareness and being open to okay, so what am I feeling right now? What have I picked up on? Right, I'll, I'll explore that. I'll just go with that hunch. And it, it, it works. So, yes, there's a there's a huge amount of left brain accounting, finance, or marketing, and right brain creativity, but there's, some, there's the energetic piece. And I I just always wanted to, 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 to bring all this together in a way, and how can I most quickly, most effectively help serve someone to get them from A to B, you know? Interesting. A while back, you mentioned, you know, sort of you're talking about other people's why. I mean, have you defined your own why? Yeah. Yeah. It's I want my why is for people that I've worked with, as many business owners as possible to get to that state, looking back on their little rocking chair in their 80s and 90s and go, I am fulfilled by my experience and my journey. And I'm full of pride of the legacy that I've created in the business. Mm. And I'm full of pride of the legacy that I've created with my family. And for me, I know there are so many business owners might be happy about their family and not about their business or vice versa. And um, I want to, I really want to help them have a good experience of the quality of their life from both their business and from their family. Do you you think you can have both? I mean, you you sort of, it's like cobbler's kids. They're bloody good at making shoes, but they're, (laughs) they're maybe not so good on the other side. I mean, is there a happy balance there? Yeah, I think I think I think there is, but I also one of the phrases that my dad used to teach us as kids was, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for life. You know, whilst my dad may have worked a lot of hours and not necessarily been present in our younger years, pre-teen years, mm-hmm. um, he certainly taught us how to fish, and he certainly gave us the work ethic and the desire to improve ourselves and the ambition and the growth and the constant support and motivation 
you know he's he, he he's my first and best mentor you know and and so back to your question about can you have it all i think we can all strive to improve our quality of life's experience and if it will all have a different definition of what good looked like or great looks like but sometimes as i say we can be so single-minded focused on one area to the detriment of others and i think we are happier more rounded more healthy human beings when we've got fulfillment from our family life when we've got fulfillment through our friendships where we've got um fulfillment through the connection we have with our colleagues and the legacy that we create mm, that's awesome there's, there's, yeah there's a lot there but i change direction here earliest memory Earliest memory is sailing. Um, my I was four when my when my dad got into sailing, and um, my mum and dad used to be hill walkers, fell walkers, and then they got into well, my dad in particular got into sailing, and um, the first boat they got was uh, when I lived in Lancaster and in, in, in Lancashire. Uh, it was a coastal port near Lancaster it's called Glasendock and it's an old kind of grain port uh, not at all salubrious and we had the boat there and playing in dinghies and going off sailing across the Irish Sea to the Isle of Man and yeah those were early phenomenal memories great memories I was going to say it's no seasickness no issues there not for me funnily enough um my mum bless her she really struggled really struggled and i god knows how she she endured it for so long um but she really struggled my brother's mechanism for dealing with it was just go down below decks and fall asleep and i used to sit in the corner of this tucked into the corner in the cockpit with my dad i remember vividly a pretty lumpy trip across the isle of man you know the irish sea is really shallow mm. relatively speaking it's shallow so you get short steep w- waves Oh, his other favourite trip was to go across to Peel Island, which is just off Barrow in Furness. And um, yeah, again, depend sandbanks, really short, steep waves. And I'd, I'd be tucked in the corner with my waterproofs on, sucking on opal fruits. And uh, <laughs> my dad would be sailing the boat and we sailed across the Isle of Man. It was amazing. And then two little kids scaling up the ladder on the side of the quayside over the top. And I remember one moment that, you know, it was me and my brother. So I guess I must have been about six and my brother about four. And we sort of darted across the quayside in, in Ramsey in the Isle of Man and disappeared off the edge. And we, we were clambering down the, the rungs of the steel ladder uh, to get back on the boat way down as the tide had gone out. There was a massive tidal range there. So the boats would right down the bottom on the uh, on the mud because the tide had gone out. And so we were clambering down the ladder. There's all these concerned onlookers like, God, those two boys just fallen off the edge, those two young kids. And with incredulity, they looked down and saw these two little toddlers well not toddlers but two little kids clambering down the ladders uh, onto the side of this uh, this boat that sat there on the mud on the bottom of Ramsey Harbour. It sounds like I mean your parents were very you know trusting is maybe not the right word empowering maybe it's sort of to let you get on with it really is that is that a fair statement yeah i think you know, they, they tr- treated us as adults right from the start and there's, mm. there's and, and and we're the same with our kids we watch other parents really wrap their kids in cotton wool and you know oh dear you fell off come on come on you can do it get back on your back again yeah. you know we it, 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 for us it's about they need to get the cuts of the bruises you know clearly not going to let them walk off the edge of a cliff but i think you need to be able to just let them explore and have their own tumbles and their own lessons learned as a result of that so yes in the one hand they they were very trusting for us to get on with it and treat it as like adults but 
also as part of rounded development you need to play and mm. you know we we i think we missed out on some of that you know it's um my brother and i our respective wives uh really kindly ribbers the fact that we none of us can catch we kind of like our arm hands going across so <laughs> tennis cricket football those games never happened you know we we went played on boats and walking hills and so you know some of those other skills uh what, what are normal don't happen you know my my seven-year-old doesn't know a thing about football, neither do I, but he can name every single lifeboat class that there is out there. You know, you, you, awesome. get, into the, you get into the kids, that you, things that your dad's into, don't they? And you, what your parents are into. It is amazing, as you say, that you, you just take it on and that becomes natural and then some things are foreign. But So, I mean, growing up in Lancashire, I mean, would you would you been out and about? Were you an outdoorsy sort of a... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So every single weekend uh, before my dad got into sailing, we were walking the hills in um, in the Lake District and in the Peak District. And then um, laterly when uh, we had the boat, but the weather had been one particular season, typical, um, you know, n- n- northwest kind of weather was wet and windy and not getting out on the boat. Dad took the boat up onto Lake Windermere and um, all of a sudden you didn't have the restrictions of the tide and it was a lot less weather dependent. So at about that time, he said, for the same cost of taking the family abroad for a two-week holiday in the Med in the summer, you could have a boat on Windermere for 52 weeks of the year, which do you prefer? And this was put to my brother and I. And we both said, oh, 52 weeks of the year. Yeah, that'd be great. So um, yeah, all school holidays, six weeks in the summer, we were playing on boats on Windermere. It was amazing. So you know, I learned my boat handling. I learned, I, I look back now as I, I, I'm teaching my seven-year-old to sail and a year older than he is, I was taking a boat out the same size that we've got now, 30 foot boat out single handedly and sailing it and bringing it alongside. And it just gave me so much confidence. And mm. if I, I, my, my eldest hasn't got that level of confidence yet, but I, I'm hoping by, you know, by next year, he'll start to develop that confidence and I can, I can help him. But he, when you pick stuff up and you learn it at a young age, you just have some kind of a natural affinity or a flair for it. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting that, you know, enabling the young, the younger people, sort of, you know, leaving them with that attitude of, especially, you know, your mentality of your Tony Robbins and all that is like this, and, or your Bob Proctor, if, you know, if you can see it and you can think it and you can believe it, and it, it is so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my dad taught me a really important lesson around visualization and mindset uh, relatively early on. So in this this company, the sales company, they had a Christmas sales competition. And one particular year, the first prize for winning was you and your um, partner could go all expensive around the world trip, you know, uh, plane ticket. He didn't want that. He wanted the second prize and it was a, it was a car and it was a Mercedes car. And he specced this Mercedes estate car. Um, no accounting for taste. He wanted a brown Mercedes Benz with alloy wheels and leather. And so uh, he don't, don't, don't forget the, um, the the sort of silver alloy uh, roof bars. Yeah. And uh, what about furry dye, or was that just that no, no, no? There was none of that. There was none of that. Uh, <laughs> brown, I ask you, brown. So he used to visualize, and he taught me about this idea that he would picture in his own mind and say to himself, "The mind can see, believe the mind can achieve," and vividly imagine in his own mind this brown winning this brown mercedes benz with alloy wheels and he had done the whole competition it was the last weekend of the competition couple of orders that had, had, had fallen through and he'd missed out and he was on a client's premises and he sold chemicals and uh, one of the ranges of chemicals was water treatment chemicals for big boilers and he went to one of his 
longest term clients in Lancaster at a big mushroom farm and he was doing some work in the boiler room and um, the owner came into the room behind him and said, oh, hi, Harold, how are you doing? Dad jumped. He said, I'm doing great, but also I'm a bit disappointed. He said, well, why? He said, well, I was so close to winning the, you know, the prize of what I wanted on the Christmas competition, but I, today's the last day. I'm not going to be able to do it. And he said, um, well, how much do you need? And my dad said, well, uh, it's too much. I can't possibly tell you. He said, no, no, tell me. How much do you need? And my dad said, no, no, I can't possibly. It's too, too much to ask. And the guy said, look, I've got a choice. I either give you a year's worth of order now, for a year, an order for a year's worth of supply right now, or I pay the profits to the tax man. So I know what I'd rather do. I'd rather give you this order right now for a year's worth of supply. Huh? So he did, and it took him over the line, and he won the, the second prize and uh, the brown Mercedes-Benz with the wheels. But the, the thing that really stuck in my mind, Pete, was when it arrived, when the car showed up at home. And I remember so vividly saying to my dad, seeing is believing. Oh, she's amazing, dad, seeing is believing. And he went, no, you've got to see it up here first, believe it before you can see it in reality. And talk about powerful imprinting, you know, yeah. about the power of visualization. So, you know, I, I feel incredibly, incredibly grateful that I was handed the book at the age of 15, that he was into self-help, positive development, personal development, and then taught me lessons like that around visualization that really has helped me massively in my life. And, you know, it's my mission now to be able to pay that forward to my own kids. It's 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 an amazing empowerment to do that, and and you know it's a credit to you at that age to read. I know there's not every not every sort of fifteen year old or sixteen year old would would do that, and be willing and capable of of taking on the lessons because Think and Grow Rich is it's, it's not exactly a page turner as such. You know, it's like, no, no, I was captivated. I might have been a, probably a, a little bit more of a bore in terms of. Um, getting girlfriends and that kind of thing. <laughs> but that, I was just, I was just I captivated. And it was just, for me, it was, it was, it was a, a door into a whole new world. And I think it really helped build my confidence and my belief about what could be done. Mm. So tell us seven year old Gavin, what, what were you like? What were we seeing? Quiet, really timid. Um, apart from when I was on a boat, you know, I, I felt confident and I loved that. That was my playground. But outside of that, you know, I was the kid that would never, you know, when you, when you pick teams at school, uh, you know, which sides for your football, I was I was always the last kid to be picked, you know, I was um, quiet, possibly, you know, a little bit chunky and um, um, <laughs> quite, quite studious, worked hard, but quite studious. So, yeah, I think it took a long time for me to, to get sure in my own skin and get confident in, in, in who I was and what I was about. Were you running to school or running away from school? Wow, what a question. I was running to school because I wanted to learn. I've always had that thirst for learning, so I was running mm. to school. Yeah. Well, that's it's great. It's, I mean, and what was your what was your core subjects then as you moved on? What what floated your boat? And what were the ones you wanted to forget about? Yeah, Latin. Forget about <laughs> Latin. So I was fortunate enough living in, and I only come to appreciate it so much now that Lancaster has Lancaster Royal Grammar School, which is, um, you know, it, 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 it's a, a, a state school, or it's a, I don't know what they class it now, is a, it's a, it's a state funded institution. I don't, I, I haven't got the right terminology mm. of what, what this classification is, but it's a phenomenal school. Anyway, it's not private. You don't have to pay fees to go. And, um, you just had to pass your 11 plus. So to be able to go to a school of that caliber was, was, was phenomenal. 
Um, so I was diligent in my study and my work, but yeah, physics was not a thing for me and, and maybe maths may not have been, which is a bit ironic with accountancy. Um, but it's all right. You've got spreadsheets and you've got calculator. Um, so yeah, I, I, but the, yeah, I, I, I just think the, where, where I really started to come into my own in terms of my growth and my education, I think was, was this, was my learning in, in, in coaching and NLP. I think for me, the first moment where I learned something and was in, could just immediately pick it up like a duck to water was when I stepped into the world of NLP and I just got it and I, I could just do it and I could get great results with clients. And that was, that was phenomenal. Up until that point, I had to slog to get to a level of competence in what I was doing. Well, through secondary school and that, I mean, you know, we, I mean, you got your nine, nine A's and GCSEs, which is no tall order, but I mean, was that something, did you, were you happy taking it on or was it something you had to work at or? No, no, I had to work at it. And, you know, interesting, um, bombed, at, bombed at A levels. So this has been an interesting sort of, sort of journey of me through life with kind of like the highs and the lows. It's like most people, my wife calls it, it's the roller coaster that, you know, you, you seem to create in your world. But, um, yeah, the I, I think when it came to, oh, I'd, yeah, I discovered girls by the time I was doing the A levels. So I, I got a little <laughs> bit distracted and, and uh, I didn't I didn't study as much and I didn't apply the mindset tools. So this again was a great um sort of uh, reinforcement for me about when i applied the mindset tools i was really successful at gcse i got distracted and and um didn't apply them at a level and i didn't do so well and then when i started to apply them in my accountancy the times when i didn't apply them in my accountancy training i i, I didn't pass exams and when i did when, when I applied them in my final accountancy exams, not only did I pass all my exams first time, but I became the top student, you know, the first prize in the Institute of Chartered Accountants uh, Northwest Region, Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales, their Northwest Region. So there's just this core is right. Use the mindset tools, get great results. Don't use the mindset re- tools, <laughs> get shit results. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was that. That was that positive re- or, or, or continual reminder or enforcement. You've got to use this stuff. Um, so, yeah, that, I, I took on the GCSEs, worked hard, uh, and then, and, and, and then yeah, struggled a bit, a bit, a bit at A-level. It's interesting because already, I mean, using back your own words, you know, you're saying you have, you know, you have your breakdown first, then you have your breakthrough. So it's almost like, you know, you have your, your breakthrough with your GCSEs, you sort of, you break down through A-levels and, you know, that life ECG, but almost like you got to I, see I, I do, I, I've, I've continued to do it. So then I went on um, first year at university. So yeah, the, the, the breakdown was the A-levels. The first year at university, I won the first prize for the best student in the year. Mm-hmm. Um I I I was told I was I was led to believe that the top four students in the year would get a first class honours degree, and I was on for the first class honours degree, and I got I was the fourth placed student in the year, and only the top two got a first class honours degree. So I was I was gutted. It's almost like you set me a target. I need to be in the top four. I got in the top four, and I didn't. So I. You could argue, well, that was a really strong two-one, but um, so that, that, that you, you might say that that was um, that was still a success. And then the next down was the first major set, set of accountancy exams, were the intermediate exams, and uh, five papers, and you had to get fifty-five percent as the pass mark. And the first one was 50, the first result I got was fifty-four in one, fifty-three in another, fifty-two in another, fifty-one in another, fifty-four in another. 
I was wondrously consistent. And, and um, as a result of failing all five, I got a P45. You know, I was kicked out of KPMG. Now, interestingly, the senior regional partner of the Northwest based in Manchester handed me an olive branch and said, I'll give you a temporary training contract. You pay for all your own resets. You pay for your own study leave. I'll give you a second chance. And the reason why he did that was in my first year at KPMG, uh, you know that I love sailing. I've got a passion for sailing. And I I put a, a pretty ballsy proposition together as a 21-year-old kid that KPMG should invest £500,000 to sponsor one of the yachts in the BT Global Challenge Round the World Yacht Race. And it went through to national level, regional level, and he saw it and he was really impressed. And I had to do a pitch around it to the, the partner's management team for the, you know, as a 21-year-old kid. And then it went to national level and the head of KPMG UK at the time was a big sailor. And um, damn, he didn't pick it. He didn't go for it. Not that I'd have, I ever thought that I, they'd win it, then I'd get myself a berth on a leg around the world or even a trip around the world, which I wanted. But that didn't happen. But what did happen was I got noticed and he gave me a second chance. So two more attempts later, I eventually passed all five papers. Mm. So when it came to the final exams, I just knew I had to use the mindset tools to do it again because I didn't have enough time in energy in the time to keep doing resets. So I visualized back to the visualization thing and um, the results used to long before email, the results used to come out either wait for the postie to send it through your letterbox on a Saturday morning or go to the news agents when it first opens up at six in the morning. And the times on a Saturday at that stage used to produce the results and really narrow, small print, narrow columns. And I, well, I don't know why I started to visualize this, but six months out from my final exams, I started every morning and every night, I would visualize the right-hand edge of one line, Preston GNS, my surname and initials, and the left-hand edge, the next line down, KPMG Preston, the office where I was uh, studying, training. So every morning, every night, yes, as I read or visualized this. And um, yeah, the exams came and went. The tax paper was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> uh, about 25% I couldn't finish or didn't have time to do. And But the case study went really well. And this was where you had to pull together all of your bits of knowledge to be able to answer a, a rounded uh, recommendation to a client. Hey, it's what I would do now. You know, the strategy, the bigger picture stuff. Um, so the results come. I'm away sailing with some guys that I knew down in Dartmouth. It was a drizzly morning. I get to the newspaper, I get to the spa shop at 6.30 in the morning. I get my paper and go sit on a drizzly wet park bench on my own. And there's two sections of the paper. And the first section is partial passes. So you passed one, but not all, in this case, four papers. Right. And then there's a second section, which is complete pass. And so I looked down the first section, P-P-R-P-R-E-S, and my name wasn't there. And that's the section I've been in like so many times before. So my heart was in my mouth and I'm not afraid to say I was shaking of paper was shaking. So I then turned to the complete past, not believing I would be there. And I looked down and went P P R P R E. And what I saw blew my mind right on edge of one line, Preston GNS Kate next line down left on edge KPMG Preston. Exactly, exactly as I visualized it. No, I, in the first set of exams, I'd been out of my intake, graduate intake, I was the only one of five, six students that, to fail all papers, to miss out on all, all, all five papers. This time I was the only one of the graduate intake to pass all five papers. And I won the first prize in the Northwest region and Institute of Chartered Accountants of England and Wales. None of the partners in the firm could believe it. And um, 
I, I choose to think it wasn't because I was the sharpest knife knife in the door draw. Yes, I'm more suited to bigger picture strategy than I am to detailed tax. Um, but it's because I use the mindset stuff. It, it's an amazing um, scenario. Almost you seem to thrive under under threat or under those situations, which seems to bring out the best in you, right? Yeah, yeah, you've, uh, you're very perceptive, Pete. You pulled that out twice in this conversation, and you're right, I do. And it doesn't make doesn't make for a comfortable existence, <laughs> but yeah, I do, I do. Yeah, it's. I'm curious then. So, really, coming through school, I mean, did you did you do any side jobs? Did you do anything else while in school, or what was your what was your vision at that time? Yeah, so I'd have a paper round. So I did the local free paper and we grew and grew and grew that. So we took our next, whenever other rounds became available, my brother and I took them on and then we'd enlist the help of my mum. And so, gosh, we would spend, I don't know, five, six, seven hours a week out delivering free papers. On um, the bike and... Yeah, well, no, because it was literally door to door to door. Every single door got one. So we sure. were walking around and we had one a little trolley to pull extra stuff on. So, yeah, we'd got used to which 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 houses are the horrible dogs that would you know <laughs> slam the paper in quick and get your hand out of the way very quick or which letterboxes would bite your bite your fingers off shortcuts over hedges and between gaps in, in in fences and all that kind of thing um and then i went on and I had a saturday job in a florist of all things i had a weekend sunday job at b&q uh so you know my dad again keeps coming up whether this was a good good um uh, education or not he would say well if you want something i remember the, when it came to the ch- uh, first car i said if you want something then you've got to work out how you can pay for it but mm. you know get yourself a loan and then work out how you can pay for it and meet your repayments and some would argue you know, save the money up first before you 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 spend it so you know there's different views on that but he he did give me the reassurance of the belief that okay so you want that car right let's work out how you can fund it how you can afford to meet the repayments on a loan and, and so that, you know, when I went to university, I would come home a couple of times a month and uh, I'd put a notice up on the notice board over in Newcastle. Who wants to drive back over towards the lakes and towards Lancaster and five or ahead, filled the car and paid for the fuel, you know? So, yeah, that, that, that there was that, there was always that little bit of a kind of like a business or an earning thing that went along with it. That's good though, I mean. You always sort of had your, your feet sort of held to the fire slightly, which is does no harm, yeah, I think. You know, sailing on Windermere and with kids and dinghies, uh, my brother and I, I'm particularly driven by my brother, if I'm honest, but if anybody ran out of petrol or broke down in their speedboat on Windermere, we'd go up and tow them back in for a fiver. And uh, so that, that fueled the dinghy. So, yeah, there was always that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Out of curiosity, what, what was your father's background? I mean, what, what sort of gave him the, the fire in the belly? So he he was originally an electrician. He was a spark, and he um, he, he then changed roles. And he, I think he had, in terms of bosses, a couple one one particular boss that really encouraged him and believed in him, and that he could sell and introduced it, showed him how to sell. And I think my dad was never short of the work ethic and and then the desire. Um, so he he went from an electrician to into sales into insurance sales and into other sort of t- types of sales and then chemical sales in the end before he then grew his own business. So, you know, he's, he's, I think his biggest successes have been hard work, vision, and, and, and his ability to sell and engage with people. Mm. And what about your mother? 
Yeah, so she originally started, uh, her career was um, a dress designer. She was advanced city and girls in dress designing. And then, you know, she, she put that career or gave that career up to be to be a mum. And, and, and she was basically present for our schooling years, really. Our primary school was minutes away from home. So we used to come home for lunch. And, you know, so she was always there. So great mum. And then later, as she kind of got back into the world of work, um, she got into retail or into, you know, working in a shop. But then um, when she, my mum and dad divorced and when she found a new partner and uh, now her husband, um, he, he had his own, his own walking and climbing uh, small chain of shops. And she did a, a, a fundamental job in turning that around and in helping that business grow and make it run smoothly, et cetera. Oh, wow. Why is that, do you think? Is it, is it her processes or people skills or what? She likes everything tidy and she hated it old stock. And so she just got it sold and she got a pretty good design eye, I think, for what was selling and what wasn't selling. And um, again, the work, customer service, you know, I think think, I think that bit wanted to do right by the customer. So if a customer had a problem, they would fix it. That worked very well. So very, very strong upbringing then for yourselves, you know, very solid and, you know, sort of empowering you guys. Yeah, I, yeah. I think back to an early comment. It was, it was, it was strong on work ethic. It was probably weaker on fun and games and play. Um, mm. But you know, it was strong on work. It sounds like you were, were you a little bit old for your years as such. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, I'll be honest. Now, you know, my, my I've got a seven year old and a three year old, and they say, "Come on, play with me," and and I look at them and and my I say to my wife when she gets frustrated with me, "Why don't you play with them?" And I say. I don't know how to, and mm. and that, which means you don't know how to. I said because it was n- never did it. You know, we never mm. had that. You know, I see other dads getting down on the floor with their kids and playing with whatever toy that they're playing with, and they spend hours doing it. And I'm going, what? How do you do that? <laughs> Black magic. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, how was? I mean, jumping a bit ahead, but how how was it having kids for you guys? Uh, amazing for my wife, tough for me. Mm. Um, uh, I say amazing for my wife, hard work for my wife and all credit to her. Cause I, up until lockdown three days a week, I'll be away on the road three, two or three nights a week. Every week I was away, you know, within, within I think 48 hours, uh, three, certainly three days of the board, the birth of our first child, I was off doing client work and the kind of client work I was doing at that time was, I was doing big training events or workshops in corporate, and, you know, it's one thing to rearrange an individual coaching client. It's another mm. thing. You've got 25 people from all over the UK coming together in a room or sometimes even flown in elsewhere if it was an international corporate. And you've got to be there. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I, I was there. And so, yeah, it was, that was tough for her. But it, it, was, a, it was a big adjustment. And, and, and I must admit, I, I, I am the first you know I, I talk about the importance about that balance it's something that's work in progress for me because i don't think i'm a natural dad nor was my dad a natural dad you know my dad loved us to bits but he really came into his own when we were like little little adults that we could start helping him in his business and 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 you know engaging in sailing and 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 pastimes like that he he wasn't very i don't think he ever changed a nappy you know you know so you know you you're a product of your environment environment and i have changed way too many nappies but um i i i'm looking forward as my boys get older that i can go camping and i can go sailing and you know go sailing offshore with them and i can 
teach them about business and that sort of thing. So the slightly more adult games rather than the, the kids' games. Uh, listen, it makes sense, and I get it because I know with my own kids, I did the nappies while well, I'm, I'm still doing the nappies. But it's you know, it's it took me six months to get to like them. <laughs> so, you know, because women women have the opportunity of meeting them from inception. You know, but I think dads just sort of go, "This is your child," and you're like okay, what, what do I do? And it doesn't respond yeah. really for six months and then you can start to get a bit of feedback then. You know, as you said, it's like a, a client it's just stonewall face. You've no idea whether they're loving you or hating you. I was you. 40. I'd put it off to the age of 40 before I had my first. And I, I remember vividly in the um, in the maternity ward uh, and the, the baby's head crowning. And I remember having this irrational feeling, push it back, I'm not ready yet, I'm not ready, it's going to go back. And of course, my wife, you know, you know, you spat your coffee there, Pete, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and, and of course, my wife's screaming. And, and I'm going, I'm not ready for this, man up. And, and I had this irrational thing that's like, shit, this is obviously mm. real. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's being born. It, my little boy's being born, bless him. And um, But at the time, it was just like, oh my God. Was it wise? <laughs> <laughs> you almost don't feel responsible enough. It's like, really? You're, you're going to let me leave with us? Yeah. <laughs> like... and that moment when you first take them in the, in, in the, you know, in the, in the carry car or the car seat out to the car and you, you strap them in and that, that drive home from hospital for the first time with this precious car going, oh my God, yeah. never driven so, you know, so t- you know, timidly in my life. 30 mile an hour up the motorway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, we digress slightly. So KPMGs, you, you've you've got through the exams, you, you've getting that sort of, you're getting the recognition in the paper and you, you visualize that. So where are you going from there? I got headhunted by BAE Systems. So they have a big um, site in, in, in Lancashire, in a place called Wharton near Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, used to be where they, you know, they, they built... Um, uh, the Eurofighter, oh, yeah. the, the planes, yeah. So the Typhoon, the Eurofighter Typhoon. Um, so I got headed to go and work with them. I did an internal audit, well, internal management consultancy role uh, with them to start off with. I remember one Friday afternoon, I got headed because of the results, the exam results, and, and that profile it gave me. And and it was a, for the time, it was a quite an, a, an acceptable and agreeable step up in uh, in salary. So I, I jumped for it, and I also wanted to to go into business and get more into business. And I did a couple of roles with them. I got into big sort of management consultancy stuff internally within the business and giving feedback to MDs and deputy MDs and multi-million pound business units. And it's pretty big stuff really. And, um, and through that, I got exposure to a guy that would facilitate, I got introduced to a guy who would facilitate some events with those MDs. And then that opened a door they were growing a team in their corporate university down in the head office in Farnborough. So they created an internal university and they mm. built a team and they ran a secondment, sorry, an assessment center to, for that team. And there was an opportunity for a secondment. And this was another kind of fire in the belly moment, to be honest, Pete, was that um, they had a cost saving drive at this particular time and there was a headcount reduction and every single department had had to reduce their headcount in their department by 20%. Yeah. At a time where I basically said uh, the, the, the offer or the proposition was, I would go and get seconded for a year down at head office, but my he- head count would still stay up in in Wharton, uh, in near Preston, and I would be paid for. So my, my boss had to take a twenty percent head count cut, and I'm saying to him, "Oh, well, you're going to pay for me, but I'm going to go into common. That's a good idea, isn't it?" 
and I managed to do well at this assessment center. I got through and I managed to get that agreement, which was amazing. But at the time, again, another fire, the, the fire in the belly bit was people saying to me, you, you're insane. You could lose your job. If you don't get this assessed, if you don't pass this assessment center, there isn't another role for you that's been left over. You're going to lose your job. Mm. And I just had this most burning certainty, gut feel, desire to, I, this is the right thing to do. And I, and I got through and, it, and, and immediately it, this was the bridge between accountancy or, and, and accountancy and, and finance through to working in the area of personal development and growth and coaching because in that environment I was – it's about this time outside of work. I'm paid through work. I was doing all my NLP training. Mm. But then I was involved in doing coaching and facilitating senior teams of multi-million pound boards um, and introducing a high-performance coaching capability to the so- – top 650 directors around the world so i brought michael breen in the guy between the nlp so his amazing um amazing team uh, that he pulled together and we uh, this phenomenal project program that we ran within within bae systems that became a game changer for bae systems well bae is a, it's a massive company obviously massive in, in the states you know the sure. scale of it and it's to, to be under the the wing of that is phenomenal yeah yeah, yeah. yep that's um so it was good grounding and um mm. and then and, and and then I got experience of you know putting proposals into PLC boards and and how that goes and uh, and and then there was a change of leadership and as as is often the case new broom sweeps clean and uh, I was my the head of our department was effectively um, moved on uh, exited the business and we were kind of tied with the old brush really so. I left the. I, I kind of took voluntary redundancy at that stage, and this was back in two thousand and two when I decided right and set up my own business. Mm. It was a lot because two thousand two was a bit of a big year for you, right? Yeah, it was a big year in terms of setting up my own business. It was also mm. a big year in terms of I got my first corporate contract. Um, so within the city, Aon, a big insurance and reinsurance broker, the lady that was head of learning and development there had been on one of the business practitioner programs of NLP and really liked my style. She was looking for a new coach and I was brought in as the young kid on the coaching team. And I was given six of their high potentials of Aon to coach. And they had a, a really good uh, format where for the, you would coach each of these six individually, but every six weeks you would get them together in a group and do, you and I would call a mastermind, but it was an mm. action learning set and we would do an action learning set with them. And so they effectively got group coaching and individual coaching. And um, yeah, I did really well with them. I, I got all five of the six all got a promotion within a year. And the sixth person had just stepped up into a big role when I started to work with him. So we, we got him performing in his role. So that kind of put me on, you know, it was, it was, it was a really good launch contract really for me from a coaching point of view. You were what, in your late 20s at this point? No, so I'd have been sorry, yes, you're right. I'd have been about twenty seven. Yeah, I'd have been yeah. about twenty seven. Um so I was coaching the city of London with people that, you know, were way senior to me and way older than me. And I remember very clearly, you know, the look or the question, you know, what can what can a young kid like you do to teach me? And I would mm-hmm. say I can't tell you about your role. You, you're your domain area. You're, you're the expert in your area of domain knowledge. But what I do know is a process that can help you coach you to pull the best out of you, get the best out of you. And yeah, I, I had many of those moments where, go on then, show me how good you are, coach me. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where I would 
coach myself internally and then be go on and really help them and make it a, a difference it's always it is interesting because I, I had a similar experience myself you know where it was, it was almost baby-faced and um there was a lot going on but when you're the you're the the, the sort of the coach in the room and possibly the, the lowest paid in the room too <laughs> it's like it's it's the challenge but it goes to show that the pay the paycheck doesn't necessarily equal the pay you know the knowledge or the the age doesn't equal the knowledge either i've developed an amazing relationship i'm very grateful for the relationship with hsbc and um that relationship now has spanned over a decade and um i did a number of years back uh uh, a tour around the UK, a comms roadshow with the head of commercial banking for the whole of the UK, the deputy head, his kind of exec assistant, and me and the senior partner of this consultancy firm that I was working with him. And the corporate team would do the morning session. We would do the afternoon training and development session. And we we would often travel around with them. So I got some time with the senior team and I would end up coaching them. I would observe how they all delivered their thing. And then we got to the end of the roadshow Thursday night. We're at this amazing Chinese restaurant uh, in Manchester, the outskirts of Manchester. And I remember a few glasses of wine in, having the Dutch courage to to go across to Steve, he was called, and uh, he was the head of the commercial bank. So he's, a, he's like God in that world, you know. He's a very, very senior guy that sits on the 26th or sat on the 26th floor of the HSBC Tower, Steve Price. and. Mm-hmm. Um, he was quite a scary character for a lot of people. And I um, crouched down next to his chair and I said, um, and I'd already had some great conversations with him during the week. And uh, I said to him, you know, do I, do I have uh, some, do I have your permission to give you some feedback? And I went, he looked at me and he went, mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I joked and said, okay, so what I'm about to say now could be rather career limiting for me. And then I just basically told him where he connected with the with his team and what what he could do to improve his connection, where he lost his connection, and what he could do better. Wow. It was a ballsy thing to do. And um, do you know what happened then? It was the most amazing in depth conversation. We pulled our chairs away. He opened up. We had the most phenomenal conversation. And it just showed me that times it just reminded me that people in very high senior positions, nobody tells them the truth. Nobody, nobody gives Mm. them any feedback or rarely is probably more accurate. And sometimes having the open, candid, courageous conversation is the very thing that needs to be, to, to be had. And, I remember fondly the next, uh, with a wry smile, actually, the next time there was a big wigs meeting on the 26th floor of the HSBC tower in Canary Wharf. And, Steve was shaking the hands of the rest of the team. I was in, and he came up and gave me a big bear hug. And the partners around me, as in the consultancy <laughs> firm, were going, "What the? You know, what's happened there?" And, and yeah. it was just, I just, I, I just genuinely shared some feedback and gave him some of the tools that he could help him engage better with the people he worked with. That's, I mean, is that something you intended to practice in terms of connecting with people, or is it just something that made sense to you? It made sense to me, but one of the things I got from the NLP training and particularly some deeper training that I'd done around uh, sensory acuity, so spotting the body language, plus some of the esoteric stuff I made reference to, um, the ability, I used to say, oh, I can see stuff. And and it was that I, just to watch people attend, watch people closely, but then also be aware of the impact that they had on the people around them and was able to often give really good insights around that. It's amazing when you you can and you actually take time to. Well, I won't I won't answer the question. You know, are you picking up on? You know, we talked about the energy, or 
what is it that you're actually looking at there? Is it is the language, is it the tone? Or... It's all of it. So I'm, I'm watching really carefully at the body language and mm. microfacial gestures. My kids hate it when they try to lie because they can't. They, they can't get away with it because I just say, I'm sorry, you, the corner of your mouth just twitched ever so slightly. And God, what's he called? Eric Robbie. There was a guy called Eric Robbie that was a real NLP master trainer, but he was his speciality was this thing called sensory acuity. So it was your ability where somebody was, you know, in NLP, they talk about visual, uh, accessing visual access. So what you see, accessing mm. auditory, what you hear, accessing kinesthetic, what you feel. And he was, he, he was a master. I did this a phenomenal two, three day course with him where you could turn around and look the other way. And I could see by the movement of your shoulders or the tension of your head, whether you were creating a picture in your mind or whether you were talking to yourself or whether you were accessing a feeling without even looking at your face. And I just became really attuned to it as well as I could see, even obviously clearer, we're looking at somebody. So that would, that sensory acuity piece was one looking deep deep into somebody's eyes and just seeing what i saw you know and just and then picking up on the feelings so when i was when you know people are warned certainly of the nlp courses that i went on whatever you do don't go and nlp all over everybody after you've um, yeah after you've done it and i did nlp a bit and i used to have a party trick particularly if i had a few drinks or i would do a little bit of that kind of not the psyche i remember being on propping up a bar in but in Barbados or Bahamas where you know, Bar- uh, uh, Barbados once and uh, being able to sit down with this guy and his girlfriend and being able to tell his hit this guy exactly what his girlfriend's about, where she was confident, where she wasn't confident. And he was, his girlfriend thought it was hilarious and he was absolutely spooked to, to be. So yeah, it became a little bit of a bore and sometimes uh, I made some misjudgments doing that out socially. So I, uh, I turned that right down and only, only switched that on when I'm working with people, when they're clients. Well, I mean, do people, do people naturally give off energy, especially in the business environment? Because I suppose for me, having time in London, it was great, but it's, it's, you kind of climb the ladder to get the hell out or climb the ladder. It's, you know, it's, it's different. Um, I suppose my question is, you know, it's sometimes, is it not hard to read people when they're, they're in that professional environment and it might be that's right for them or they could be struggling, right? Yeah, and that's where some of the the sense of the feeling piece I tune into. What's the vibe in the room? What's the vibe that they're where they're at? Um, there's a, another phrase that's related to visual, auditory, and kinesthetic is words, music, and dance. And if the words don't match match the, match the dance in you know, the mm-hmm. body language, then there's something a bit of a foot. Or a phrase I would often use would say, "I'm hearing it, but I ain't feeling it." You know. So if a client would say to me, "Right, I will do a a b and c that you've just said." I'm going, I'm hearing it, but I ain't feeling it. I have got mm-hmm. no belief in what that, that you just given me the BS you, want, you knew I wanted to hear. Come mm-hmm. on, let's uncover that. Let's get to the heart of that. And so I think that's what has really helped me just call it to name it as it is. And it, it it's also given me the courage to facilitate the conversations that are not pleasant conversations, but often need to happen. Mm. And it's often created, it's released a lot of blockages in teams and in, in, in individuals. I've always found that I suppose it depends depends on the organisation. I mean, HSBC is a fairly forward, you know, forward-looking bank, but you do get huge profile structures, you know, huge teams, and and you know, people that are potentially in positions that aren't necessarily qualified, but they were the best person for the job, or you know, they, they've had the time in the seat, therefore they're, they're there. But 
don't necessarily haven't necessarily had the feedback or the, the qualifications to get where they are. You know, it gets lonely there. Yeah, and I've also experienced in other organisations, like did a piece of work within Ford, Ford Motor Company, uh, or Ford Ford um, Retail, uh, NGB, and I was working with people that were in senior management positions or director positions, down to the the lowest paid in the team that would you know clean the clean the showrooms or you know collect and drop off customers' vehicles, and that was a really interesting challenge to engage with people at so many different levels in an organization of so many different motives to go to work and so many different like a work ethics and one of the things that you know they would say you can't do that management will say no no there's no way i'll do that management will never agree and because i'd worked with and coached with the management i just picked up the phone there and then in this workshop i said um such and such you know can we do this we think this is a good idea it will improve the process and they went actually that's a really good idea yeah you can crack on so I put the phone and I said, right, that's a yes. And they were just like jewels on the floor. And I said, okay, so no more excuses. You've got permission. Oh, but, oh, but I oh, know you can't. Okay, so what's really going on here? You raised an objection. I've dealt with that objection. You now presented me with more objections. So what's this really all about then? And one of the most technically sophisticated coaching questions I ever learned was, really profound one, this one, Pete, is, so what's that all about then? You know, uh, best said with a Lancashire accent, I'm sure. You know, so what's that all about then? And I, um, it uncovers loads of stuff. And uh, uh, I, they either liked me or loathed me for engaging in that conversation because I showed the stuff up for them, you know, and then just got rid of the excuses. But then, then you can have the real conversation. So what's this really about? It's not about management. It's about what you want to do. And are you in the right role? Are you in the right company? Are you in the right place for to, for, 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 you, for what you want to do in your work? Were you a, a natural fit in the in the London scene? You know, you're Lancashire boy, stick you on a boat out in the out in the lake by yourself, and and now you're down in the big smoke. No, I um my my brother moved down there relatively young and and has had a very successful career in London and then Dubai and then back in London and he he often said when I used to stay over at his when I was working you'd be so much more successful if you moved down here and lived down here you'd have so much more clients and I would have been I love going to the city whether it be to to, to London or Manchester or New York or wherever and the vibrancy and the dynamism and the pace I love that but I also can't wait to get away and I just love being out in nature and and so I like the combination of both um there's a there's a word I don't know whether it's kind of a spiritual word but there's a word called a myism so the the, the, the pervasive energy or attitude of an area so in London the myism is about drive it's pace it's passion it's go for yeah. it we can do it we're going to work hard we're going to work from six sorry five in the morning till you know two in the morning and then somewhere more sleepy like Windermere or a coastal retirement seaside resort that is more laid back and I often found back up in Windermere in August when you know everybody took holidays and there wasn't much client work and you know the Lake District weather being more orientated towards the gray and the wet rather than the sunshine and, and the beach um to feel quite it was just so slow and so there was no dynamism at all so that that could be quite quite uh tough um so i i love i love the combination i love the contrast i love the difference i love the variety and i've always 
thrived off variety. So I can jump into a business in North Wales equally as I can jump into a business up a tower in Canary Wharf. I'm, I'm mm. cool about that. It's always interesting if you have the, you, you can take the compression time, you know, London is super efficient at getting stuff done as long as you can decompress and, you know. And, and, and you needed that, you know, you <laughs> take, you, you, you take, you take me out and put me on a boat and that's my meditation. And if anything, this year with the lockdown and by the time the lockdown was lifted in Wales and we were allowed to travel more than five miles, there was not enough, enough of the sailing season left. Mm to warrant putting the boat back in the water. So I, I've missed getting out in the water this year massively. And it's, it, that is my decompression. Mm-hmm. So interesting. So you, you really through Aon and, and through there, where, where, where'd you go next on your journey? So that started probably about a decade of, co- of coaching in big corporates, mainly in the city. Mm-hmm. So you saw me in organizations like Rio Tinto, um, um, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, Aon, uh, a, a financial services company on, on the uh, in the Docklands uh, called Edward Jones, an American organisation. So I did a lot of um, big, co- you know, big organisational coaching, and, and and did that for a long time and did very well with it. And then I got more ensconced into projects like within assist client system like HSBC, where I coached everybody from the head of the banking and the commercial banking right the way through to a relationship manager dealing with individual customers and did lots of training around strategy with them. So I, um, I did a lot of internal training. So the, there's a, for example, the head of business banking. Now we wrote the foreword for my book, my new book, survive and thrive. Um, uh, David Beatty's the head of business banking for the UK. I coached him a decade ago and uh, I knew he was tipped for the, you know, I tipped him for the top back then. Of course, others did as well. It wasn't just me, but uh, you know, I could see the talent and the flair and the, and the, and, and the potential in him a decade ago. And he's, he's now head of the business banking in the UK. So uh, yeah, uh, good times. I obviously made a mark and I'm fondly respected and remembered. And uh, that led to the opportunity to, to speak to their customers and mm. did a pilot event that ultimately became a two year national speaking tour with HSBC, 84 gigs over two years. And it was called the strategies for growth. And it was a combination of the strategic trends, the mindset, the marketing and the mechanics for scaling a business. And that was a phenomenal platform and a phenomenal opportunity. It sounds like you, so you were doing this all the way through 2007, eight, nine as well. So, I mean, that, that was a, an unusual time for all the banks. Yeah, so two thousand seven, eight. It was really interesting for HSBC. So I was doing a lot of work in, inside HSBC over that period of of two thousand seven, eight, nine. HSBC were were the poster child, really, because they were relatively cautious, conservative as a bank. So um, all ships go to a safe harbour in a storm, and that's that's actually what happened in the markets for HSBC at the time. What was really fascinating was come to 2012 when things were picking up, HSBC in the markets weren't seen as exciting enough. So, um, you know, perversely, they had their cutbacks then. Mm. And I went from internally within this co- this organized consultancy practice where I was uh, as an associate, as a subcontractor, I'd sold in on behalf of them a piece of work for me to do, which was a three-month piece of work. And I remember I was I was in bank in the city and I got a call from this regional director on the 8th of December. I remember it so vividly where I was stood in poultry. And he said, um, sorry, I'm losing my job. Program's cancelled. And that was my that was my three months with the pipeline through to March. And Already at the time, I knew all my eggs were in this one basket. And I, I, at the time, I made the conscious decision, you know, make hay where the sun shines. 
but I also could see the writing on the wall. So I thought I'll secure this one piece of work, three months of work. It'd be two or three days a week. That gives me a financial certainty that I can then develop other clients. So cue another roller coaster moment. Um, I didn't have a pipeline. I didn't have other clients. And I, and I, I went all of a sudden, I lost all my business. And so it took me four months to get more work, five months, you know, 30 days credit, um, payment terms. It took me yeah. five months um, to get paid. And in fairness to my now wife, um, she stood by me, you know, quite a baptism of fire really. It's like, hey, great. We've just moved in together. I've got no income whatsoever. No, I won't go and get a job. I'm bloody good at this. Yes, I will keep going. I'll find a way. And she stood by me and, you know, I got back on my feet and got working again. It is a bit of a, it's a baptism of fire and it's, it's a test of people when they get to that squeaky bum time. And, and, and my wife's uh, got a background in the NHS and at, mm. at the age of, um, she qualified as a dietitian, and then she, at the age of, young age of 26, she was in a management role. She she managed, she ran a team of dietitians, she ran the department, then she got, she took on dietetics and speech and language therapy. And then she, before, before our first child, she was divisional manager of nursing and 650 nurses and 16 billion pound worth of budget. And so she was used to certainty of salary. And even to this day, the roller coaster of running a business is something that she, she struggles with. She finds it uh, quite challenging. Mm. That is interesting because some people just can't do it. You know, entrepreneurship, self-employment, no thanks. <laughs> I'd rather boil my head. Other people kind of going, I really couldn't work for the man or whatever you frame it is. And it's funny, you guys are almost opposite. Yeah, we are. And it, it, in honesty, it creates some tension because um, she sees the amount of hours I put in and she sees that she enjoys the highs and then she sees the lows. And and um, and I guess she's kind of like, my God, you, you, you still keep plugging away, don't you? But I think the area where I need to step up more is to give certainty at times around holidays. You know, I've... I, I, I've done the thing that my dad did. You can either have a boat for 52 weeks of the year or in this case, the North Wales coast for 26 year, weeks of the year, or you can go away on holiday for two. And they, uh, I, fascinatingly, the economics are exactly the same. So for the last three years, um, it's been the boat, you know, we had end of March, it would go in until the end of September, every single weekend and holiday, the boys went playing on the water. They spent their weekends swimming in the sea and um, even in April <laughs> and uh, you know, digging sandcastles and eating ice creams and uh what a, what a great environment for them to to grow up and play around with but it, it sounds like a first world problem it's an amazing adventure but it's hardly relaxing and mm. particularly with young kids you know our second child was 12 days old when we first took him out on the boat so and particularly then a year on when he's crawling oh what's over the edge there <laughs> you know um it can be quite in climbing and mm. yeah, the, the, the health and safety nightmare, aren't they? So uh, that kind of environment. So yeah, it could be quite of an edgy, stressy kind of environment really. And then you try and coordinate that with the routines that young children or babies need around feeding time and sleep time, etc. And you're in this dynamic environment that's rocking all over the place. And um, my wife's feeling seasick. So yeah, it's uh, a <laughs> lesser. I love a dearly for having, um, having the, having the patience and determination to come sailing. That's great, isn't it? Because <laughs> you compare that to the corporate world and it's like, no, we have, we have a team of people for that. I saw, I was always struck by, you know, it's, different companies and the company I work for, there was 10,000 in the company and there was a team for everything. You want something printed? They do that. You want something financed? They do that. 
you get to a small entrepreneurial company and you go, who's signing the check? Go, well, you, you're signing the bloody check, you know? It's like, who's, who's doing the strategy? Well, you are. And by the way, fix the printer while you're at it, will you? It's like, and then you get home to the family and, you know, it doesn't matter how qualified you are, your seven-year-old will reduce you to nothing in seconds. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a great initiation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So coming through that time, you know, you, you've, you know, you've sort of had the, the squeaky bum moment and, and really sort of having to, to, to move on, you know, how, how did you move on from that? And, and where'd you go? Uh, about two things. The, 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 well, the first main thing was I would never have all my eggs in one basket ever again. Hmm. So I needed to find uh, another sort of associate opportunity. So another consultancy where I could go and support them and be a really strong right hand to them whilst I built up my own client work. So I, solution, hard work. So I would, in my industry, I, I learned, you know, in terms of the coaching training industry that eight days of delivery is usually enough in a month because you get burnt out, etc. And I was doing eight days of delivery every two weeks. You know, I was doing, I was doing 16 days of delivery every month. Sometimes I was doing 20 days of delivery every month because what I was doing was the work as an associate but also then building up my own client base because I knew that if I didn't build up my own client base in addition, I'd, I'd be exposed to the same risk that I had been doing with HSBC. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I nurtured both and uh, both aspects and um, I found that whenever I got opportunity to go and speak and then whilst I was doing this corporate, while I was doing this associate stuff, then I got some opportunities to to do the first of the pilot events for that HSBC tour that I mentioned earlier. Mm. And then that opened up further opportunities. So I ran both in parallel for a long time. Well, it's always, it's always, always good to, you know, as you say, keep, keep the two things going at the same time that allows you to, I suppose, clarity of mind to know that you can have, version of not passive income but multiple things going on to to, to keep yourself safe yeah and i think you know you, you identified earlier in this conversation about i perform best when you know the pressure's on on my back's against the wall and i think you know we know about this concept about towards and away from motivation that two fundamental drivers for human uh, you know to do what they do is either they want to move away from pain that's away from motivation or move towards pleasure towards motivation i'm hugely away motivated so when i put weight on all right, I need to do more exercise. I need to watch my diet a bit more. Um, but once I get back to a weight where, oh, okay, I can relax a bit on what I'm eating or whatever. Um, I've always loved exercise, but never really been good about being super diligent on my on my food choices. And um, so I, um, that, I think that away from motivation bias meta program, if we use NLP uh, technolo- uh, terminology, has I think has spurred a little bit this um, roller coaster. So mm. shit, things have really gone wrong now, or things aren't going well. I'll fight back. I'll push on. I'll put everything into it. I turn it around, and uh, and then hey, life's good now. I can just take it easy a bit. And then, <laughs> so uh, I got a good friend of mine that I met back in two thousand when we did NLP training together, and uh, he he just laughs at me. He says, "You do so well at this roller coaster, Gav." He said, "You." One minute you're, you're having a real challenge, and the next minute you're f- absolutely stonk, stonking and storming. And, and so I think I need, you know, that whole like, raise the mm-hmm. threshold of where the away from motivation kicks in. I've just got to raise that, keep pushing forward. So it's no longer not acceptable for me not to have a boat mm-hmm. and be able to take the, the family away on holiday for two weeks. That's a great, great way to be. So moving on then, what, what that sort of kind of brings us up to, to current day, does it? Pretty much. Uh, so. 
Well, actually, no, there's one little chapter, which is a very pertinent, uh, pivotal chapter in between, which, uh, which I'll quickly relay, is that uh, after HSBCA or part of that time, I ran a program, pitched it to the audience with a ballsy proposition, work with me for a year and I'll double your business or your money back. Mm-hmm. And I took four cohorts through that program, more than a third of those businesses, more than doubled in a year. One business increased their turnover by five, factor of five in 18 months. Um, that was a great year-long program, did a massive result, combination of group coaching and masterminding, individual strategic planning with those businesses and coaching them. Got great results. Then we had the referendum and you know my program about W Business in a Year was built upon the fundamental presupposition that it's possible. And in a market of wavering confidence, mm. it became harder and harder to sell what was an 18 grand a year program. So um, at that time, one of my clients who had been through the program said, come and join my board, come and help me grow a business. So he had an M&E, mechanical electrical contracting business. And it was 11 million. He says, Gavin, I want you to work with me and grow this in five years from 11 million to 50 million. So big decision. I stopped my you know lifetime of coaching 15 years of my own business to, to to go and go and join a board and i was responsible for finance and for hr and for strategy and for marketing and for legal and for it so mm. to build a functional capability for that business to scale a lot of work hard work we, we grew it from 11 and a half million to 19 million in 18 months and at the same time as doing that, he said, you're doing a good job of this. Do you want to be MD of the sister company, a software as a service business? And I grew the recurring annual recurring revenue of that 90, 80% in nine months. Um, and then one of our biggest customers, our biggest customer, uh, went bust, owned us 1.9 million and took us out. Mm. Cue another slide down the roller coaster. Mm. So uh, that was just before Christmas 2018. And, um, yeah, so all of a sudden I'd stopped my coaching business. I'd, I was out of a job and, uh, start again. So, uh, a big, big lesson and a big egg in a basket, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I look back now, back to, back to the book and, you know, the book survive and thrive, how to secure scale and, and succeed in business. I started writing this book a number of years ago and the book now that put it, that's published on the 30th of July is, uh, so much better for the journey that I've been through because, it's now I will inspire you. I do inspire. I open up the art, the possible in your own head to what you can achieve in your business. But I underpin it with the depth and the wisdom around this is what could go wrong. And this is what we need to build solid. So we're not building this growth on, on, on sinking sand. We're building Mm. on rock solid foundations. And, you know, some investors ask the question, how many times have you cycled? And what they mean by that is how many times have you been through the cycle of a rise and demise of a business and yeah, I've done that. I've been through that and I've learned a lot and I know what we did right. I know what we could have done differently. And I also know after a lot of kind of post-mortem reflection, what I still couldn't have changed the influence, the outcome with. So mm. um, it's made me a better person. It's made me more humble. It's made me more aware of the pitfalls and the challenges. And I, I just know now, you know, where, the warning, but the morning size of where a business is going wrong. But interestingly, I have to go through the journey myself to better serve my clients. Sure. The next clients I had was a returning client, a really, he's a very, very dear friend of mine. His previous finance manager hadn't done a good job. They'd done loads of work they had not invoiced for. He'd not managed the cash flow. And he brought me in 
in the February of 2019, and he said, um, I've got a £500,000 hole in my cash flow that's going to hit in a few months' time. Uh, this is my business. It's my baby. It's 10 years of my life. I'm going to lose it. Can you help me save it? And, um, you know, eight months, nine months later, there was cash in the bank and there's a profit on the bottom line and turned his business around. And I applied all the strategies that I share in the survive portion of the book. Mm. Um, some of that I'm actually cut, I, I'd found what had worked when I was in the M&E business, when there was a guy screaming down the phone at me, pay me eight grand by 4 p.m. this afternoon and I'll be around there with a baseball bat. Mm. You know, though, been through that and, and know what works and what doesn't work and, and managed to create a phenomenal result for for this client he's a really de- dear and true friend of mine and and um we've turned his business around and we're now embarking on another exciting phase in its growth that gets a big smile on the face there it's a, you love the challenge don't you i love the challenge and i love the result that it makes for the for for, for the for the, for the people i help the clients hmm. it's interesting you, you know you refer to a lot of your clients as friends and you know people you've really got to know it's that's that's quite a beautiful thing yeah, uh, another one of my success stories is a guy that met, I met him. He did the W the Business program. He said, "Look, I've I've got a, a he's, he's in sports supplements business. Uh, I've got a, a retail shop. I've got a underperforming website. I've got a level of personal debt. I'm so ambitious. I'm keen. I want to grow it. Um, I've got a long-term girlfriend. I want to propose to, but I, I'm not going to do it until I'm out of personal debt. I've cleared my personal debt. So he grew his turnover, his revenue by." five times in 18 months. He went into contract manufacturing as well as retail. We coached him through the cash flow challenges of the growth. He paid off his personal debt. He built some wealth. He expanded his business. He proposed to his girlfriend, now engaged. And they've just had their first child, you know, and none of that, you know, there's, there's the part I played in that mm. journey, you know, in terms of and that. And that and that to me is incredibly rewarding to know that not, not only have I helped him achieve he's about we're about to launch i'm still working with him about to launch his brand in the us a new brand in the us um it's really rewarding to be able to help people to see not only the benefits in their business but in their personal finances and in their personal life well yeah it's 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 a great place to be it's a great place to be he's now grappling with a newborn baby Uh, you know how does he fit that in with work and hey can help you and I, I, I live that <laughs> yeah it's uh seriously you're changing up but good luck yeah it's, it's trying to it's going to try and get that balance uh, where you are i mean talk to us about the book what what sort of trigger and said right now's now's the time to to write the book let's let's go um i don't think you, i think it's been an, an, a, a, a labor of love for a number of years if i'm honest and and what happened was i'd get busy with work i get busy with speaking i get busy with new kids and newborns and um it was always deprioritized and it was after the kind of setback uh, the over christmas 2018 and 2019 i thought i need to put myself into something very constructive and i sat down and i said look i, I want to finish this book off and the book would have been a book about the thrive part the the, the strategy compass which is my six-step model to help grow and scale businesses and i just thought what i've just been through in survival actually loads of businesses go through that loads of business owners go through that so i, I slightly changed the book and i created a two-part book survive and thrive so i wrote part one survive around the strategies to keep the boat afloat of your business and then developed and built out part two particularly around the scaling bit so part five of my model step five of my model is a capability and 
a handily sort of five-stage mnemonic called scale, and which is you've got to get right, you've got to get systems right, you've got to get cash right. Growth is so hungry on cash. You've got to get enough working capital in your business. Adva- a is for advance or sh- innovation. L is for leadership and culture. And E is for effectiveness, both personal and team effectiveness. So I, I built that out a lot more from my experiences in the M&E uh, business. And also the survive portion of the book was, again, based on that. I'm just, um, I was just taken slightly. It's, I, I love that the analogy and almost, this was depending on different finance people you talk to, you know, saying it's, what is the expression, you know, uh, lack of revenue is, is a heart attack, you're dead, you know, lack of profit is, is like cancer. It's, it's a long-term death, but almost your survival is like, well, get the revenue, you know, and you were saying if, if there's a hole in the business, there's a, a hole in the cash flow, survive, get the revenue, and then you thrive is profit. So yeah. you know, one is to continue, one is to is to thrive it. So I love that. I love the you know, the, there's there's two parts and it's almost like feeding the yin and yang. You know, you've got the accountant who's like, show me the numbers, and then you've got the strategist that going, Let's think big. <laughs> so, and that's that, me. And that and, and that is that uh, that I try to create something that's sort of comprehensive yeah. or something that this is the manual to help. This is the book I should have had when I was 21. This is the book my dad should have had. This is the book to get you from survival, the comprehensive guide that it's not as simple as just looking at numbers or looking at strategy or looking at marketing or getting your mindset right. You need to do all of these things. Oh, and build the operational capability of your business and the team. And and, and that for me is that, that, that creative kind of like tension that I want to excite you and inspire you and show you it's possible, but I want to build behind that with these are the things that you need to create a profitable and sustainable business. And yeah, I, I, I think I need to embrace a little bit more about the account. I, I, so in for so long, I pushed that away. I almost at the other end of the spectrum. No, I'm all about coaching and let's, and then no, don't do numbers. That's, that's, that's a, that's a shameful past. And, and now it's, um, I don't want to be a boring accountant, but now it's the combination of both that is essential for sustainable growth. You look at, I mean, you take any of them, you take your, your Warren Buffett's, your, your Branson's, your, all those guys, you know, um, what do you call him? Amstrad. Um, Jesus, I've just forgotten his name. <laughs> so, oh, Alan Sugar. Alan Sugar, Sir, you know, Yeah, so whatever hierarchies that nowadays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're follow the numbers and then, you know, you can get creative once once you've got the core fundamentals. I think it's a great great way to be. You know, it's, um, it's very, totally. very strong. Um, just conscious of time a wee bit. So a couple of things we're going to ask you. Guilty pleasure? Glass of wine, I guess. <laughs> Bottle. Boat or off the boat? Where, where would you be? <laughs> uh, my 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 favourite would be uh, either a cool bottle of beer or a, or um, a cool glass of wine, uh, setting along in a beautiful sunset and uh, just hearing the only sound is the lapping of the water against the hull of the boat. Red wine, That's white wine. Uh, red wine with steak, white wine. If I'm just sitting there appreciating the view, yeah. Wow. Look at that. That's that's a smile and a half there, you know. <laughs> um just in terms of uh heroes and inspirational people, who really stands out for you in your life? Evidently by the amount of times I mentioned him, my dad's been a massive influence. Mm-hmm. Um so he's really stood out. Tony Robbins has was was for many people across the planet has been a phenomenal um ph- 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 phenomenal influence. And one of the things is really I, I, 
I, I started to follow Tony Robbins in like 92. Uh, I was on his fire team for his first UPW in the mm. NEC in Birmingham and his first UK, his first, sorry, his first UK UPW um, to see how he continually grown. He's never got, he's never got stale. He's just continually improved and grown and you know, he's still amazing at 60. You know, that, that that's, that's been a phenomenal insp- inspiration to me. Um, so yeah, I always think those two people have stood out. So tell us what, what is your fire in the belly then? I love the way you did that. Um, so it, it, it's back to where it did the, the fire in the belly is to help people have a better existence, a better experience of in business, not just existing, but thriving in business, not just surviving, but thriving. And I, I, I've gone through that journey myself and I'm now committed to thriving and it, that's a decision. And I want to share that with so many people. And that's that's what gives me the the fire in the belly, and and also to be able to pass on some of the gifts that from mindset that I had was passed to me or by my dad. I want to pass that on to my boys too. Mm. That's awesome. So tell us how can people reach out to your work and they to get a hold of you, get a hold of the book. Great. So they just go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. That's surviveandthrive.cc. And then you'll be able to get yourself a free copy of the book there. I cover the cost of the book. Uh, all I just ask is you to cover the cost of shipping and handling. And, um, yep, you'll find out more about me there. If you want to check out my podcast. It's the Business Mastermind podcast. And um, uh, Pete and I both uh, share a, a passion of podcasting and uh, use the same podcasting agency, which we're both great fans of. So, the business mastermind podcast and then and then so thirdly check out gavinpreston.com awesome gavin it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing and being so open my pleasure mate thanks pete thanks for having me well that was another great episode of fire in the belly you know this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys and boy boy sometimes it is personal it's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on we've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.